Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, good morning everybody. Welcome to Trinity. I'm TJ, it's good to see you today. I just feel like we have to do something before we get rolling. Everybody bow your heads for a second. As we were in worship, I felt God speak very strongly to me that this morning God is restoring hope. He's bringing restoration of hope. Some of you are hanging on by a thread, and God wants to move you from the thread back into his arms. You're hanging on. You're like, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. Let me just let you in on a little secret. On your own, you will not make it. But gratefully, you are not on your own. God is here today. So right now, what he wants to do this morning is reestablish the promises that he gave you that he is faithful You are not alone, and even though the situation looks dark, even though it doesn't make sense to you, it makes perfect sense to God. He is unfolding his plan. Things are moving according to order. Do not be afraid. Take a breath. Sit back in the arms of your Father. So right now, just do that. Some of you are just stressed to the max. Just let it go. The Bible says that If you seek God first in his kingdom, he'll take care of all the other areas of your life. So you stay in alignment with God's heart and you let the rest of everything unfold. Our God is faithful. Our God is faithful. Our God is faithful. So Father, would you help us today to uh, understand what that means? Father, would you cement that in our heart? Would it go deeper than our fears, deeper than our worries, deeper than our emotions. Help us to know just deep within our bones that, Father, you're faithful. Your name and everybody said, amen. It's good to see everybody this morning. Nobody has melted from the heat. That's a plus. I felt like, I, you know, I, I don't like to, I'm going to be on, can I, can I bear my soul with you real quick? Summer is not my favorite holiday. It's not my favorite season. I know you beach people love the summer. I understand that. Um, I, I don't like to sweat. And I find myself all through the summer months, well, I sweat all the time, but all through the summer months especially, I sweat quite profusely. And it's just, it's just not comfortable. This sticky is not, not, not good. I'm a fall person. Any fall people in here? Now, I don't need everything to be pumpkin spice. I don't need my deodorant to be pumpkin spice. But I like the fall, I like the, I like the winter. I can celebrate and appreciate all the seasons. And, um, you know, some of you are in, a, in a, maybe a winter season right now. That's okay. Springtime is coming. Trust that God is in control of all those things. Um, hopefully this morning you, you picked up on the theme that God is faithful. Do you ever think this? Maybe God set all that up just for you. He knew exactly where you were at. He knew exactly what you were going through. And he positioned all this today because he loves you. And he wants to speak something deep to your heart. Uh, I remember a few years ago, many years ago now, I was uh, just coming out of school. And, um, you know, I, I sang and I did stuff. And, you know, usually when you're getting out of school and you're in smaller churches, you got to be able to do everything. So I was, I was leading worship, and I tinked around on the piano a little bit, but there's nothing that was proficient or anything good. And I was getting ready to, to do our youth service, and once again, my, my youth uh, or my piano player called out sick. 
My piano player, the person that would lead, do all the stuff, they were, they were faithful. They'd be there like maybe one time a month. And I was getting frustrated. Have you ever been frustrated before? So me and Jesus were having to talk about my frustration. I was like, Lord, that person stinks. The grace and mercy person that I am. And I was like, Lord, I don't know what to do about it. And I heard the Lord speak very clearly to me. He says, well, I have, I have a solution for you. And I said, well, Lord, what's that? He said, you play. I said, well, God, I, I can't play. He said, I created you, son. I know what you can do. Do you ever have God go to, you say, sit down, son. Sit down, daughter. So I said, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll tell you. So I started to just kind of get, familiarize myself with the keyboard and play because I, I didn't have anybody, any keyboarder to remind me. And, and it, it turned out that I had music in me that I didn't really even know. And I started to play, and it started to be part of what I did, and it was great. And then, you know, at some point, I transitioned from youth ministry, and I became a youth and music guy, and it was cool. And along that journey, you know, every musician, they want their own instruments. So I started to save money for a keyboard. Um, didn't have hardly any money. You know, one of the beautiful things about ministry, especially when you're coming out of school, is the church is there to help us, and they keep evil from us. Like, one of the evils they keep from our young pastors is the evils of a good-paying job. Thank you for that, beloved. Be warm and well-fed. Have fun. So I remember I did extra jobs. I did odd jobs, did this stuff. And I saved all this money to buy this, this keyboard. It was a Core Guy 3. And it was like state-of-the-art, brand new. It was going to be incredible. It was just great. And I remember I finally got this keyboard, and I was so happy. And I was leading worship at a church in Pittsburgh and doing youth. And everything was great until the day the Cubans came. What a terrible night that was. I'm sitting in, a, in our service on a Sunday night, and we had some people there from Cuba, and they told us about the church in Cuba. It was a persecuted church. You couldn't get to it. We had no diplomatic relations. And there in that church, I just had my keyboard for about three months. I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, TJ, I told you to get that keyboard so that you could give it to them. I want you to give them your shiny new keyboard. And I looked at the sky and I said, no, it's my keyboard. They didn't work for it. It's mine. And God reminded me, TJ, where does all your stuff come from? Maybe you. And I remember that night, putting my little case out, walking that keyboard up and laying it on the stage. And it was just ridiculous. My wife thought I, I lost my mind. I thought I lost my mind. I didn't know what else to do. And I put it up there and I felt like God said, son, if you offer me this, I will give you something greater than this. You'll never be able to even imagine what I'm going to give you. I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you at your word. Have you ever noticed that God will give you promises, but he's a little fuzzy sometimes on the details? Is it just me that that happens with sometimes? So I give him this keyboard, and this is what I fully expect in my mind. At some point that week, somebody's going to walk right into my office, and they're going to hand me a brand new, better keyboard, because how many of you know that God gives you things that are better? That was my theology. So that week, I go to my office, expecting something. You know what happens? Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing. The next week, you know what happens? Nothing. Week three, I'm starting to think perhaps I've been, you know, bamboozled by the Lord. I'm like, God, you told me to give this and nothing's coming back. And by the end of the third week, I hear a knock on the door and a guy comes into my office and he's holding a black, terrible looking acoustic guitar. He goes, pastor, he goes, the weirdest thing, he goes, he goes, I was at this flea market and I saw this thing on the table for $5, and I felt like I needed to buy it and give it to you. And he goes, here. I said, thanks for nothing, Earl. So he gave me a $5 acoustic guitar. 
And I picked it up and I, I went to strum a chord and it sounded like one of those little Mickey Mouse ones, you know, your little ukulele thing. I said, it was terrible. I just put it in the corner. Didn't think anything of it. Weeks went by. Months went by. And I'm talking to God one day and I'm like, Lord, I said, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not upset with you, God. But you told me if I gave you this, you would give me something better. And you know, so far better hasn't come. And God said, what are you talking about? I gave you better already. I said, what do you mean, Lord? He said, well, that, that, that guitar. I said, that $5 flea market guitar? Perhaps, Lord, you didn't look up the specs on the keyboard that I gave you. It was shiny, top of the yard. He said, no, no, that's what I gave you. He said, I want you to pick it up. I want you to learn it. I said, okay. So I tried, and I butchered that thing. It was terrible. I mean, it was awful. It was, I just couldn't play. And I, I finally got frustrated and put it in the corner. One day, one of my uh, worship guys comes in who's a guitarist. He says, he goes, who gave you the terrible guitar? I said, Earl. He goes, Earl. He says, and he picks it up, he tried to play. He goes, I can't play this thing. He goes, you need a better guitar to learn on. He goes, I got a crummy guitar at the house. I'll just get it. I'll go get it for you. So he gave me a $50 guitar. And I learned how to play. And then little by little, this is nuts, through all the years, as the 51 wore out, somebody gave me a $100 guitar. As the $100 guitar wore out, somebody gave me a $300 guitar. I had a $500 guitar that somebody had given me. One day, one of our worship leaders was using it at the church. He fell and destroyed it. And I was like, well, I guess there goes my, my guitar playing things. A week later, somebody grabs me. And they said, God told me to go buy you a guitar. So they take me to Guitar Center. Have you ever been to Guitar Center? They got guitars on the wall, and I go pick up a guitar. And he goes, no, no. He goes, I, he told me, you got to go into the nice room. They get this room where all the expensive guitars are at. And the weirdest thing happened. I come out of there with a guitar a Taylor guitar that I still have that cost as much as the keyboard that I gave up 10 years earlier. So what I didn't understand in the economy of God's faithfulness was this. I expected, you know, a, a keyboard or something just like what I gave up. What God was teaching me and giving me was a new instrument. And he knew this. As long as that keyboard sat in the corner, I'd never pick up a guitar. How many of you know that sometimes we don't Grab on to the new until the old is gone. Our God is faithful. Now, here's the struggle that we have when we talk about God's faithfulness. You and I don't have God's vision. We can't see down the line. You know, we don't understand sometimes what that unfolding of his faithfulness looks like. So when we talk about God's faithful, that's one of those things. We sing about it, we read about it in the Word, we talk about it, but what does it really mean and how does it really impact us? If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at verse 23. If you have our app, you can get on our app, you get all my notes. If you're on the U version of the Bible, click live events, you'll see Trinity, pull up all the notes. Notes are good because they help you to remember. Hebrews 10.23 says this, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Everybody say faithful. So what does it mean that God is faithful? Well, to start to dig into that, you've got to look at what that word actually means. You've heard me say this before, I'm a word nerd. So again, that Greek word for faithful is pistos, which actually means to be reliable, to be trustworthy. Now sometimes, again, Languages, we get things lost in the translation. When we see that word faith in the West, sometimes we equate, uh, we equate that to mean that, you know, I believe strongly that something's going to happen. For us, you know, we hear the, the phrase, it's a step of faith. 
We think, well, if I just take this step, perhaps somebody will meet me. But this word pistos in the Greek is something more concrete. It's something more solid. It's not just, you know, a a guess. It's not just a, a presumption. Like, for example, I believe with all of my heart that in the Harris household, by far, I'm the best golfer. By, by far. Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> by far. I believe that with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. But here's the reality of that statement. That is not an absolute truth. It's just not. That means that someday one of my boys or my daughter may beat me in a game of golf. Now, that's going to be a terrible day. And crazy things are going to have to happen. But someday that may be a reality. My point is this. In humanity, faithfulness always has an element of doubt that's present. You can never be 100% sure something's going to happen as a human. You can't. We don't understand faithfulness the way we see it in God. Now, when you look at this verse, pistos, as it applies to the attributes of God, we see this not as a hope, but as an absolute. Does that make sense? The connotation of faithful, when it's used to describe God, is more than a feeling, it's more than an emotion, it's an absolute. In fact, when you actually look at the context of that word, this word pistos, it's a covenant term. Or back in the days, it was more of a legal declaration. It was just a matter of fact, it's what it was. When you say God is faithful, you are describing him as a matter of fact. It's an absolute. It it is what it is. You know, for example, all of you have, you know, if you have a car, you have this document called a title, right? On the title, there's this, this VIN number, this vehicle identification number. When you look up that VIN number, you see everything that there is to know about your car. Do you know that you can look up the VIN number and even find out the, the accidents that you've had? You know, so when you sell that car to your, your neighbor and you tell him, no, light miles, never had any problems at all, he can look up the VIN number and say, well, it looks like you took this off an evil Knievel jump. Are you sure that you, did, you just drove this to the funeral home and back every day? When you look up the VIN number, it tells you the make, the model, the engine size, the doors, the color, the original color, everything's on there. When you look up the VIN for God, underneath that it says he is faithful. That's not a hope. You don't have to hope that God's going to show up. It's an absolute. God is always going to show up. He's always going to be faithful. It's part of who he is. Now, here's the challenge for us as humans. It's hard for us to comprehend that. Because we have nothing in this world hardly that's an absolute. There's a few absolutes. You're here, which means you were born. And someday you will die. Unless the Lord comes back. It's not even an absolute. See what I'm talking about? It's tough. It's not easy. We try our best. But we don't have any relationship that is anchored in an absolute. For example, how many of you have friends? How many of you have family that you consider friends? How many of you have family you see once a year and that's too much? There you go. (laughs) Few of you are like, yes, pastor, yes. Think of it this way. How many people do you know that do what they say? I mean, they just do what they say. Before you answer that, let me rephrase the question. How many people do you know who do exactly what they say every single time they say they're going to do it? Before you answer that, hold on. How many people do you know that do exactly what they say every single time that they do it, and they do it with such thoroughness and perfection that you never have to worry about them getting that thing done. 
before you answer that, how many of you people know that, you know, you know people in your life, no matter what the circumstances, no matter how they feel, they'll always do exactly what they say they're going to do every single time with the same thoroughness and perfection, and you never have to worry about anything that they say, and this happens 10 times out of 10 times out of 10 times out of 10. How many people do you know like that? Not only do you not know people like that, but none of you in this room can operate like that. You can't. Why? Because we do not possess the attribute of faithfulness as an absolute. Only God does. This is why he is God, beloved, and we're not. That's what the faithfulness of God is. Now know this, our understanding of God's faithfulness is one of the cornerstones, the foundational pieces of our faith. If you don't know and believe that God is faithful, it's hard to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. Why? Because again, when you understand that God is faithful, that means this, he is completely reliable, which means that you can anchor to him. Your faith needs to have somebody that you can anchor to that is greater than you are. And that is God. That's why the enemy does so much to erode who God, you know, who God is in our eyes or in the eyes of the world. That's why he works overtime to do that. But we need somebody that's greater than us. God's faithful. He's worth the time to, to be anchored to. You can anchor to him even in the midst of an ever-changing life. Even in the midst of the storm, he will not move. So now you know that God is faithful. How does his faithfulness impact your life as a believer? How do you move it off of just words from a screen and pie in the sky understanding that has no relevance to your life? Well, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to flip over to 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. It's a beautiful passage that gives us an understanding of the power of God's faithfulness in your life personally, what it does for you, what it does for me, practically. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 3 says this, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. His faithfulness establishes you, plants you. He is solid, and when you connect to him, you become solid. And then he protects you against the evil one. His faithfulness just, just puts you on the rock, but it repels the enemy in your life. When you understand that he is faithful and you rest on the promises and underneath the shadow of his faithfulness, the enemy cannot touch you. He can't. Let's break down first. The faithfulness of God establishes you. That word, that Greek word for establish, is terizo, which actually means this. To be pointed in the right direction and to be anchored in such a way that you become unshakable, unmovable. It's not just, I'm going to put you on this rock and leave you there. You are pointed in the right direction, and then you are cemented so that you cannot be moved from that thing. That's what the faithfulness of God does for you. That's what establish it means. What does that mean for us? It means this. God establishing you is greater than your emotions. You cannot be fully established in God by your emotions alone. God establishes us by the truth of who he is, not what we perceive him to be. It's not about us and what we bring to the table. It's about him. Our faith is anchored to all the things that he is, not all the things that we believe. I mean, guys, if, if your faith is anchored to all the things that you bring to the table, I, I hate to be the first one to tell you this. You're going to fail. And your faith is going to look like a roller coaster ride. This is great. This is no, no, no. This is great. No, no. Does that 
sound like any of your faiths? If it does, here's the core issue. Your faith is more about you than it is about God. When you anchor to God and who he is, it lifts you. It raises you and establishes you, and it puts you in a place that you can't get to all by yourself. Sometimes we fail in our faith because our faith is established in all the things that we bring to the table. You alone are not enough. Our goodness is not enough. Our strength is not enough. So here's the big question. How do we know if our faith is established in us or our faith is established in God? It's how you respond when bad things happen. It's when the pressures of life hit you, whatever pops out shows you where your faith is. You understand those things are a test, right? Those things are not final. God allows those things to happen to show you if this thing is working in your life or not. He pressurizes the pipes and he looks for the leaks. Jesus never promised us that life would be easy. He just promised us that he'd be with us. And he uses life to show us what's really inside of us. Now, let me introduce you to one of my friends. This is uh, Mark Pastoria. I've known Mark for, golly, 30 years. I met Mark uh, at a Pendle youth camp. He was a youth pastor at a church in one of our neighboring communi- uh, communities. It was really cool. We grew up, you know, kind of together in ministry in our 20s. And uh, we actually shared a lot of life with each other, too. Uh, he had a son, Tyler, at the same time I had a son, Tyler, and we talked about that, and everything was great. And we had a ball in ministry, and things were going phenomenal. Uh, until one day, Mark got a, a bad phone call. You ever have, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, life can change in a moment. Their, uh, their son, Tyler, was experiencing uh, headaches and was just having some issues. He was about eight years old. They didn't know what was going on, so they took him to Children's Hospital. They took some pictures, and they found out that uh, tumors had invaded this young boy's body. Um, it was their, their, their only son, their first son, and it just, it hit them like a torpedo. And they did what they knew, they knew what to do. They got to the church, and the church rallied around them, and they started to pray. We are a church that believes that God can heal. So we stood in the faith of that. We believe that God's a healer. So we prayed, and I remember being part of the prayer services with Mark and with Jennifer, and, and it was tough. You know, I'm looking at this young guy, and every time I would pray for his son, Tyler, I would think about my son, Tyler, and we stormed heaven, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. And I still remember the day that Mark called me to tell me that God had decided to take his boy, Tyler, home. And um, I've never lost a child. For those of you that have, I, I can't even imagine what you must feel. I just remember the impact in my heart trying to understand what my friend was walking through. And this is the incredible thing about Mark and Jennifer. It seemed like when that lowest point of their faith kicked in and they didn't know what to do, they were so anchored to God that they started to rise. Sure, they mourned the the, the loss of their child. And sure, they had dark nights of the soul and all those things, but those two are living testament of what God's faithfulness is when you're anchored to him and it's something bigger than you. In fact, they were so amazing, the hospital was observing them walk through this and they were like, there's something in you that we don't see, that the kid's hospital, when when parents lose their children, you possess something they don't possess. Would you come and talk to some of our parents that are walking through what you're going right now? And for these last 25 years, Mark and Jennifer have gone to conferences and they've spoken to hospitals and they've spoken to countless thousands of young parents that had children that were either incredibly sick 
or had lost their children, and they brought hope and they brought life. How is a couple able to do that even when they lose a child? They're able to do it because their faith is established on God. Not their emotions, not their experience, not even their pain. Sometimes, beloved, we have this arrangement with God. Lord, as long as you allow everything to go the way that I want things to go, I'm your guy. I'm your girl. But the second something deviates, I take my ball and I go home. Beloved, that is not living like Jesus is your Lord. Did you hear me? That's you just happen to be walking together. I want to encourage you. When you have these situations and things pop out like that, you know, whatever comes out of you, look at it. Lean into it. Take it to God and ask God. Say, God, through this, will you show me the anchor points in my life that may be weak so that I can be anchored to you fully so that, God, I can be established in your faithfulness? So here's the big question. Where is your faith established? Is your faith established in him or in you? You see, this is the beautiful thing about our God. Not only does he point you in the right direction and establish you, but God also propels the work inside of you. He starts the transformation process inside of you. You know what your part and my part is in this whole thing? To say yes. To be yielded. Even when we don't understand. Mark and Jennifer, even though they didn't understand, they said, Lord, we still believe that you're good. We still believe that you're faithful. We still believe that you heal. And somehow you will bring good through this. So they can stand in his faithfulness. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 puts it this way. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until the Lord comes again. God will make this happen. For he who calls you is faithful. That word holy means to be set apart. By the way, who's making that happen in your life? Who makes that happen? It's a trick. Look at the passage behind me. Who makes it happen? God will make this happen. You yield to him. We trust him. This is the same passage in the voice translation. I love this. So now may the God of peace make you his own completely and set you apart from the rest. May your spirit, soul, and body be preserved, kept intact, wholly free from any sort of blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus the anointed. And look at verse 24. For the God who calls you is faithful. He can be trusted to make it so. So we trust him. Experiencing God's faithfulness is a byproduct of abiding in him, being connected to him. Are you struggling with his faithfulness today? Are you struggling? Are you afraid? Are you worried about what's on the other side of the horizon? Then get reconnected with God. If you're struggling, get as close to God as you can because faithfulness is a byproduct of the Spirit. As I recall, it's a fruit, isn't it? Get close to God. Bow your heads for a second. We're going to take a pause. Some of you are here today and you've experienced tremendous disappointment. And some of that disappointment has tried to derail your faith, but it will not win. Take a deep breath and right now allow the Holy Spirit to anchor you again to God's faithfulness.
Talk to him, invite him, say, Holy Spirit, will you anchor me again into you? Will you sweep away the debris? Will you sweep away the weak points, God? Father, will you anchor my heart into the strength of who you are? And Father, will you speak to those things in me, Lord God, that that keep me from being in alignment with you? And listen, the Holy Spirit hears you just like he hears me. He speaks to you just like he speaks to me. All right, let's keep going. Beloved, this is a game changer. This is a game changer. If you can lay down your works and pick up his faithfulness and his strength, it'll revolutionize your faith. So we know this. The faithfulness of God establishes us. He points you in the right direction, and he anchors you so you're not movable. The second thing that he does is this. God's faithfulness guards you. It guards your heart. It goes before you, it stays with you now, and it covers your tuchus. It guards you like a bubble, just what he does. What does it mean that God's faithfulness guards us? When you look at that Greek word, phulasso, it actually means this. It's a military term, which means to surround completely to protect somebody. How many of you have been watching TV and you see you know, somebody that's supposed to be famous, and they walk out and they're surrounded by all these, these ginormous people that push people out of the way so they can get to their very expensive car that we'll never own? You ever seen that? You know, and that's there. And they get him in there, and people are taking pictures, and they're punching people with cameras, and they get him to where they need to go. This is the general thing of what this means. It's a military term. Now, when I read this, again, just because of my heritage, I think of the 300 Spartans. Every good, chunky little Greek kid back in the day was told about the story of King Leonidas and the 300 Spartans that held off like a bazillion Persians. I mean, we knew about it. It's just what you did. If you don't know the story, look it up. It's a good story. It's a great story. Now, I don't condone the Spartan society, but the way they fought changed warfare forever. The Roman legions were based off of what the Spartans did. It just was. And this is the beauty of what they would do. It was how they worked together as a unit that made them effective. These Spartans would come and they would interlock their shields and they would protect the person on their left with their shield. Their fighting hand was the hand on their right. They would protect themselves and the person on their left with their shield. And as a unit, they would attack from a secure and a protected position. So think about this. You hear what I said? As a unit, they would attack from a secure and a protected position. The Spartans' first priority was not to attack the enemy in their their fighting circles. It was not to attack the enemy. It was to protect their fellow Spartan and to work in harmony as one complete unit. From that place of protection and harmony, they would attack. And they were ridiculously effective. Effective enough that they could hold off superior forces. Why? Because from security and protection, they would attack together in harmony. The enemy not each other. Perhaps there's a nugget there for our churches. Perhaps we should spend more time securing each other, protecting each other, locking arms, and then attacking the enemy for who he is. 
instead of attacking each other. Us believers, we are an odd folk. Aren't we sometimes? It just, I'm taking a social media break. I have to, because every once in a while, I'm just going to be honest with you, you guys drive me crazy. (laughs) Not the devil, you. Some of the things that people post drives me nuts. And of all the posts that drive me nuts more than anything, it's the posts that we post when we attack each other as believers. I don't understand it, I don't get it. Just because you don't understand it, you don't get it, you have this amazing ability that God's gifted. It's one of the most incredible things, the mo- one of the most greatest gifts that God has given you. You ready for this? It's the gift to be able to keep your mouth shut and to pray and to love. Guard the person on your left. Protect the person on your left. Talk to them. Ask, how can we work together? There are no Lone Ranger Christians. From that place of strength, we battle the real enemy. That is not flesh. It is not blood. There's powers and principalities. The enemy is terrified of the church because he knows this. When we get our act together and we're in alignment with God's heart, we become portals to his power and we shift the world. But we have to learn to love each other first, to work together first. Harmony. That's what we do. The faithfulness of God guards you. He takes care of your future, your front. He takes care of your now, your present, and he takes care of your rear, your past. How does he do all that? He reminds us and he draws us in with the promises of who he is and what he'll be for us. If you trust, if you're yielded, This is why the promises of God are so important. And this is why the enemy does whatever he can to get you to forget. Are you like, some of you like goldfish Christians? You know, we're all like goldfish Christians sometimes, right? You know that if you continue to feed a goldfish, he'll eat himself to death. That actually sounds like me at the buffet, but that's another story. (laughs) They don't realize they've eaten. Oh, look, food. Oh, look, food. Oh, look, food. We do that sometimes in our faith, but we do that with trials and forgetting that God was faithful before. We worry. God shows up, he gives you everything you need, he delivers you. You go, thank you, God. And the trial comes, you go, oh, no, we're going to die. And you go through the cycle, oh, no, we're going to die. Oh, no, we're going to die. Oh, no, we're going to die. And finally, it's just like, fine, just come on home. I can't take it anymore. I'm expending a lot of angels toward you. I, I can't do it anymore. You know, even, even in heaven, we're, we just got, we have only got so many angels. Don't be a goldfish Christian. The enemy tries to get you to forget. God's promises keep us focused on the truth of who God is and what he wants to do in our lives. When it comes to God, as an absolute, he has always been faithful. Not one time has he not been faithful. So God's heart is to bring us close, to pull us in to his faithfulness. He does that with his promises. His promises remind us and they bring us in close to his faithfulness. So what the enemy does, he'll do anything he can to keep you in a place where you can't experience the faithfulness of God. He has to separate you because faithfulness comes from when you're close to God. So he'll attack you and the enemy never fights fair. He'll try to to, uh, keep you stuck in unbelief. He'll try to mess with your belief system and understanding of who God is. And then if he can't shake that, then he'll start to mess with the understanding of who you are. And you know where it usually starts? In your past. Who you were. There's a flip. 
between being a sinner saved by grace and a new creation in Christ. Some of us still identify as a sinner saved by grace. You are no longer a sinner saved by grace. You're a sinner. You're saved by grace. Now you're a new creation in Christ. You hear the progression? You don't identify with the sinner anymore. Now you identify with the new creation in Christ. But the enemy will always whisper into your ear and remind you of the sinner that you were. He'll try to, to get you to identify with the sinner as you are because if he can't fracture the faithfulness of who God is, then he has to fracture the connection point between you and him. And for us, what is that all connected in? Worth. He tries to convince you that because of all the things you've done, because of even some of the things you still wrestle with, you aren't worthy of his faithfulness. He always loves to attack you through your past. He loves to bring up your worst moments as evidence of your guilt and truth to the things that he's telling you. But know this, God's faithfulness doesn't just pull you into the future, it settles your past. It settles your brokenness. It doesn't matter what you've done. God has made provision for it. 1 John 1, 9, and beloved, if you're going to memorize any verse in the Bible, make this one of the big three. It says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. End of story. No, no, but you've got to go through this course. You've got to read this book. That's all that it says. When you misstep, when you do that, when you go offline and you come back to God and you repent and you confess your sins, God is faithful to forgive you each and every time. 1 John 1, 9. Beloved, your past is behind you. And the immortal words are frozen. Let it go. Let it go. And who knows the rest of the song? Look at me. Some of you need to let go of your past. Look at me. It's funny, I start talking about the past, half your eyes go straight to the ground. Look at me. All of us carry things. Today's the day to take your bag of things, to put it in God's hands, to leave it there and to just go on. Let him deal with it. The enemy loves to try to get you from your past. God's faithfulness guards your rear, takes care of you, so the darts of the enemy can't reach you. Then the enemy loves to attack your present. He likes to get into your situation now. He's constantly trying to enter your world now and erode your faith. He's constantly trying to get you to question what you believe. How does he do this? Worry, fear, right? Have you ever, I, it's just, it cracks me up. I, my, my dad, I love him with all my heart. I came home one day. My dad was living with us for his last four years. And um, I told him, so you, you stay with us for free, Dad. You do whatever, you earned your money. You, want to bless, you do whatever you want to do with your money. And my dad did. My dad bought the craziest things you could ever imagine <laughs> all the time. The best and worst thing we ever did for my father is we got him connected to Facebook. And he learned how to order stuff on Amazon. End of story. I come home one day. I come, I, was, I, was I come home one day and there are 15 boxes on my front porch. So I walk in. I said, Dad. I said, did you happen to order anything on the, on the internet? He goes, are they here? I said, I don't know what they is, but there's something here. There's 15 boxes of they that's on my porch. I said, Dad, what did you buy? He said, well, you know, because I was very concerned with where we're heading and all these other things. He goes, I want to make sure that as a family, we're going to be okay. I said, Dad, what did you buy? He said, I bought 
15 buckets of survival food. Now, I'm not here to tell you that we need it or not. I'm just telling you what my father did. I said, why did you buy 15 buckets of survival food? He said, because nobody has food. We'll have food forever. I said, 15 buckets for a Greek is not forever. We go through a bucket a day. I mean, I'm talking a five-gallon bucket. And it was like a soy type of paste. I don't know what it was. We're not talking like beefaroni. We're talking like, would you like another cup of soy? And I said, Dad, I said, I said, why? I said, why would you want? I said, God's in control of everything. And he looked at me, and I'll never forget this. He started to cry. He says, I'm just so afraid of the future. I said, Dad, you don't have to be afraid of the future. Your future is secure in God's hands. The enemy will come in and he'll he'll try to get you to worry now about things that haven't even happened yet. Do you know that most of the things that you worry about aren't even going to ever come to pass? Those things that keep you up at night? Half of them, three quarters of things will never come to pass. So the enemy comes in. He loves to mess with your now. He loves to rob you of your now. He does. The faithfulness of God, he, he, he covers that. So how does he mess with our now? Well, he lets those things come in. He lets tribulation trials come into your life. You see, when a trial comes into your life, you know, we have a choice. You can focus on the trial, or you could focus on the solution. Now, the enemy's always creating so much ruckus, he's trying to get you to focus on the trial, on the fear, on the worry. God's always, you know, you ever wonder why, like, the scripture says that God is the glory and the lifter of your head? You know what that means? It means that God takes his hand out and he puts it under your chin. He says, no, no, son, look at me. No, daughter, look at me. Don't, don't look at the wind and the waves like Peter did. He sank. We all know the story. No, no, you look at me. You focus on me. Don't worry about it. You look at me. That's what he does. He keeps us focused on us now. You know, God didn't say that your promises, that your trials were going to go away. He didn't say tribulation were going away. If you came to Christ because somebody told you that all of your problems were going to go away, I hate to tell you this, they lied to you. And I'd get my money back. I kid, I kid. <laughs> he never promised that your trials would go away. But what he promised was he'd be with you. And he'd always have a plan to get you through it. This is what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says. Any temptation you face will be nothing new. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. But he always provides a way of escape so you'll be able to endure and keep moving forward. Now, what's interesting is that word for temptation, the Greek word, parosimos, which actually means this. ready for this? An experiment or a trial. That's what it means. So anytime God allows these things to come into your life, these trials, these experiments, God will always show you a path through it if you're looking in the right place. So you anchor to his faithfulness. Beloved, sickness may wreck your body. Trials may affect your comfort. They may even cause you grief. The faithfulness of God will remind you of who you are, and his faithfulness will surround you, and it'll care for you, and it'll give you peace even in the midst of dark times. How does this happen? Remember, beloved, that even though this world may try to wreck you, and this world may end up taking out your body, the faithfulness of God will make sure that it never touches your soul. You are protected. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. This, we live, is a sliver in the light of eternity. So we hang on, we press on. His faithfulness guards your soul. 
So you stand up, you get through it. That's why we have each other. That's why we carry each other. We don't throw each other down. We get each other to the end. And then the enemy does this when it comes to the promises. He'll always try to mess with your future. He does that again with worry, with fear. And a lot of times it happens too with timing. It hasn't happened yet. Have you ever noticed that we are like the most impatient people on the planet? And it, it's getting worse. You know, back when I was a kid, we were talking about this yesterday, Robin and I, we were, we were oh, excuse me, me and Tori, we were walking in, in the neighborhood and in our neighborhood last night, they were playing, um, they were playing capture the flag. And there was like, like 14 kids out there playing capture the flag in our neighborhood. When's the last time you saw 14 kids running in your neighborhood playing? We used to do it all the time. Tori's like, why'd you do it all the time? Because we didn't have anything. We had a TV, you know, that had three channels and mom and dad controlled the TV. There was no VCRs. There were sticks, rocks, and occasional ball. That's all we had. You went out and you played. That's all that you did. You know, and it, it's, it's, it, things have changed. We become very impatient. We become even impatient when it comes to God. We pray for God to do something now and we expect it to happen Three minutes later, when even in the Word we see things flowering in people's lives like, like Moses, it took, what, 40 years for God to bring him to where he wanted to bring him. 40 years. Could you wait for something for 40 years? You know what I've waited for 40 years for? Pain. My body's in pain. 40 years. Don't be impatient. God will use sometimes your fears, and your, or the enemy will use fear and worry and impatience to try to derail you from your future. Have you ever found yourself in a place like that? It's, you know, being afraid of what's around the corner, the unknown? I remember a, a couple years ago, so I, I'm a diabetic, and one of the things about being a, a diabetic, you always have to keep an eyeball on your eyes. So I go twice a year, and they, they take pictures of my eyes just to see if there's any change. You, know, you don't want this macular de, 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 uh, degeneration where your eyes start to bleed and stuff like that. So I'm at my doctor in Wisconsin. I'd, I'd been there three, four times. She was like my doctor, blah, blah, blah. So they have my pictures on file. So I'm sitting in there and they, you have to look through this machine. They take these pictures. You can't see anything for like, you know, they put drops in your eyes. First time they put drops in my eyes, they said, you should get somebody to drive you. I said, no, I'm fine. Have you ever had your pupils dilated? So I go out to drive after that. They give me these dark glasses and it feels like I'm driving through the Thunderdome. I have no idea where I'm going. I don't know how I got out there. So I'm sitting in the office and the lady, she, my doctor comes in and she pulls up the file and she's looking at it. She goes, Mr. Harris, she goes, uh, this is really bad. I go, what do you mean? She goes, well, I can see there's been a ton of change in the pictures. And I, I'm a little nervous because my, my father-in-law was a diabetic, didn't take care of himself. He went blind at, at 64. And I said, well, I, doctor, I don't understand. She goes, I don't understand it either. She said, I've never seen such a change so quickly. And she started to talk to me. She goes, well, what are you doing? Are you changing things? No, no, I'm, I'm running. My A1C numbers, everything's fine. She goes, I don't understand what the problem is. She goes, I, she goes right now, this is so bad. We're going to have to schedule for surgery. She goes, to get in there and to laser me. Wait a second. She goes, she goes are, you, are you Keith? I said, no, I'm, I'm TJ. She goes, oh, I have the wrong file. True story. She goes, I hope I didn't disturb you. I said, well, you may tell your cleaning lady after today, she's going to have to clean this seat up a little bit more. I'd say I was a little shocked. <laughs> you know? Beloved, even though you don't know the future, God does. And the closer you get to God, the more perfectly you sit in his hands. And the one that you serve is faithful. You don't have to fear the unknown. You can walk forward in confidence with God. This is what Hebrews 10.23 says. Let us hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering. 
that he who is promised is faithful. So the faithfulness of God establishes us and he guards you, protects your soul. So there's nothing that you'll encounter that'll be beyond his power or anything. So here's my question today. How are you in relation to his faithfulness? Bow your heads with me real quick. I know we took a pause. But I want you to take a moment right now and I really want you to connect with the Holy Spirit. For us as a church, as we move forward as being his example, we have to be anchored to his faithfulness, which tells us this. Even though we don't know the road ahead, we will not be moved. We have to be salt. We have to be light. We have to be that light. So right now, I want you to talk to the Holy Spirit. Ask him, say, Lord, will you show me if I am anchored to your faithfulness or if things have to shift? And then listen to what he tells you. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.